today's scripture as we come into worship is really encouraging. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah. And this is, you know, hundreds of years before Christ came on the scene. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, 14, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do just what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous one. So he identifies this as the Christ, the Lord. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priest ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. So here we have Jesus, the eternal priest, who is before God interceding for us at all times, um, our, our priest reigning forever in heaven, making our way to God continually available. And so in, in worship, just know that, you know, God's plan from all time was to send Jesus, the, the righteous branch, to make a way for us to be in relationship with God. And even now, he stands at God's right hand, and he makes intercession for us, and he, uh, and he offers to God our worship and praise that we send to him as the priest that stands continually in God's presence. Just such an amazing thing, the thoroughness of God and his plan. And I don't know about you, that stuff just makes me worship, just knowing how God... You know, all the, all the problems and things we struggle with are pale in comparison to the plan that God is working out in his world. Even when things seem like they're crazy, Jesus is not alarmed. He is not worried. He's not anxious. He's not wondering what the, he's going to do. He has a plan, and he is reigning forever. Amen? So we are in uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount today, Matthew 5 to 7. And I've come to see that this is one of the most uh, relevant, important couple chapters of Scripture that you could, you could reflect on. And I think that if you were to just take your time and, and read Matthew 5 to 7 on a regular basis and really think about it and apply it to your life, it would make a big difference in your life. Uh, Jesus is authoritatively giving us the, the, the truth of what God's will is for our lives and saying this is, this is it. Um, he taught in a way that blew people away because he taught as someone that had authority to teach. He didn't reference uh, other teachers or anything like that. He said, you know, I'm, I'm God, and this is what this means. You've been confused by this in the past? Let me tell you what it means. You've heard people say this? Let me tell you what the real deal is. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. So I, I commend it to you to keep on looking at it um, as we go forward. But uh, before we get into to the end of Matthew 7, I just can't believe uh, that this is my last Sunday with you before I begin my sabbatical with my family. We're really thankful for the opportunity, and we will be back with you uh, in the beginning, of, right the first Sunday in September. Um, God has been speaking to me personally and, and speaking uh, to many of you, I know, as we've talked, and he has his hand on all of us in so many ways right now. And I, I believe that God is going to leave a blessing behind for every person in this church for my family, for all of you. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great summer. Um, from week to week, we have gifted preachers sharing God's word here with all of you, from, from our elders to uh, people from our district office. Our, the the uh, district superintendent will be coming and sharing with us at some point. And various people there equipped to, to share and teach the word of God. So I'm, I'm actually sad to miss it. I love coming weeks when I'm not preaching just to hear other people preach. 
But you know what? This is the way it is. I'm going to listen uh, online. I'll, and I'll, we'll probably be um, going around to other places and supporting other ministries as well during this time. So from week to week, we'll continue in worship. We'll continue in the Word. And the worship team is, is strong. I was telling the team on Wednesday that one of the saddest parts of going on sabbatical right now is just the, the idea of, of the worship, leaving the worship team behind because we're having such a fun time. Such a fun time. And enjoying the music that God has uh, put in our hearts to share with you. So all of this stuff this summer is just designed to, to uh, that you might have a place to give God access to your, to your life, to hear his calling and his voice. Um, you know, I know God wants to do many things in you as he does in me this summer. And the phrase that God keeps calling me back to uh, about this summer is this phrase, solidify your membership in Christ's body, the church, at New Life Fellowship. Which is a bold statement. Solidify your membership in Christ's body, at specifically the church, at New Life Fellowship, the place that you feel called to make your church home. In um, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, explains what I mean by solidifying your membership in the body. It's not about your legal name signed on to a, a list of members every year. It's about the vital part that you play in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were unbelievers somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit gives them, gives them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of, all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. And my belief is that the Holy Spirit, this is completely relevant to us, that he has given us all the gifts that we need in this church. If everyone used their gifts in the body, we would be all set. So he says, just as, as a body, though one has many parts, but all, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now hear this. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. God has placed in this church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then then, uh, miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, even though it might not seem that way when you come, come to a church these days, every part of the body is equally important and vital to the church's health. And there's no part that is less important than another part because the, the head, which seems so important with the brain and, and all that stuff, not saying that's me, that's Jesus. He's the head of the church. Um, it's supported by the ligaments that hold the body up. Without the ligaments, the invisible parts would fall apart. And so many people in this church serve invisibly and do things that keep this church going that, that couldn't, um, it couldn't exist without those people doing what they do. And so this summer, I'm, I'm just asking you to, to, to pray about your membership in the body of Christ. What part has God called you to play here? It's not all about New Life Fellowship, but this is the place that apparently you guys feel called to make your church home. And so for you, it really is all about New Life Fellowship in the sense that this is the body that we are forming in, in Christ. And if you're watching from home or you, you belong to another church, go, go, go to your church and become a part of that body. Solidify your membership. Because God has given us all the gifts we need and all the people we need and all the parts that we need to, um, to do well. So it's time, it's time to go all in. So Jackie and I this summer are going to be praying regularly uh, for you in this regard, and we ask you to join us in praying over the next three months about where God wants you to plug into the body. And uh, I'll be sending an email tomorrow uh, just to share some more thoughts. Um, the, the vision of this church has never been to be a program, a programmatic church, even though we do have some programs here. The only reason we have programs is because we have people that feel called to do those programs. Our vision is that our church would be made up of ministries which match the people that are in the church. So if we have a person that feels called to this ministry, we create that ministry for that person to do. We don't fill people into ministries that exist just for the sake of having ministry. So in other words, it would be nice to have, you know, coffee and refreshments in order to show God's hospitality in the church to one another and to visitors, but we don't have that ministry unless there's someone who feels called to head it up, which I just heard this morning, someone feels called to head up. That was pretty timely. Um, And that's not unique, by the way. Like, people in this church are stepping up and solidifying their membership in this church in amazing ways. Um, I think the Friday night of the Morahans, the youth group, the mission trip, all these different things, people are mobilizing and and following God and being, uh, doing it. And I just continue doing it. This is a good thing. Our church is, uh, should be as distinct as the people that are part of it. So if, um, if you feel called to a ministry that doesn't exist, you know, talk to the elders. Um, and we'd be happy to try to create a place for you to serve. Uh, there's a slide, Derek, in there with a, a whole big list of parts of the body here at New Life. There it is. So look at this. Uh, I just wanted to, to kind of instigate your imagination with all of the, all of the ways that, um, that we hope to or we are serving God in the church. And some of these things don't exist. They're just things in my imagination. Some of these things exist, but they are under, under, under supported. But, uh, you know, what's God calling you to do? We have, we have a children's ministry we call Faith Finders. We have a youth ministry. We have soul care groups that meet and help people walk through um, 
the, the, the difficult times and, the, and things in their past. Uh, we have deliverance, people that do deliverance on folks, prayer ministry teams, mission trip planning, intercessory prayer. We, we meet on Wednesdays to do that. You just go down the list. There's so many ways in which uh, the body works and moves. And many of these things uh, exist now. Some of them will exist in the future, depending on who we have in the church. And the final way is, if God's put, put something distinct on your heart that you feel very called to, we want to hear about it. We're not, Greg and I are not closed-minded uh, about the church. We want to see people use their gifts and, and fulfill their calling, and in so doing to um, demonstrate an interesting version of the body of Christ in the world. So, solidify your membership in the church this summer. Just pray about over the next three months about how, what God's calling you to do and to be in the church, and let's do it together. Let's come together uh, when we come back. I don't know what every, everyone here is called or gifted to do uh, in the body of Christ, but we are 100% committed to supporting and bringing people into a place where they are serving and they're feeling the fulfillment of being a, the vital part of the body that they are. You know, it, it says in that passage, just because, you know, the ear will say, I'm not part of the body, it doesn't for that reason stop being part of the body. It's still a part of the body. It's just not recognizing what it is. It, doesn't, it hasn't had the confidence to step up and say, hey, I'm an ear. I hear things. Some of you say you hear things, but, you know. Um, but that, that's an interesting thing. You, you already are a body of Christ, it says, and you already have unity, Jesus says. So if we already have these things, it's just a matter of stepping forward and taking hold of them, right? And maintaining the unity God's given us. So pray, ask, seek, and knock, solidify your membership, and it'll be interesting to see what God does. So... That's, that's part A. Part B is finishing up uh, this just last little part of our passage. And uh, the, the verses, I believe, are going to be on the, on the PowerPoint for you to look at. And this is in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. A couple of years ago, Jackie and I bought one of those $300 gazebo, gazebo things um, with a big metal frame that you leave up year-round with a roof and a zipping mesh sides that keep the bugs out. And Jackie was so excited to set it up in our new house that she did it herself while I was not there. That's how excited she was. And it's a very hard thing to set up. And she was so proud, so happy. She, she put in these cool like light bulbs around it so we could sit outside, put the furniture out, and, um, and, and, de- and decorate it and all that stuff. And we were really excited about having people over on Thursday night to enjoy this outdoor space. But on Wednesday, we had a superstorm. Super duper storm. And uh, you can pull the pictures up, Derek, of that. So <laughs> it was so sad. So that's the main body of the thing got crushed into itself. And then the next one, it actually lifted the top of it off and sheared the poles. Like it sheared the metal poles. So it was like destroyed. It was, that was such a forceful storm. I hope that everyone's okay. Um, this thing was staked down to the ground. But it, it actually just ripped poles apart, metal poles, which is amazing. So we had um, a little bit of sun in our eyes for our Thursday company from the neighborhood. Uh, but that was quite uh, an, interesting, an interesting thing. And this is exactly the, what Jesus is describing in the end of Matthew 7. So I said, I have to show this picture uh, so you can see what Jesus is describing in Matthew 7, 24 to 29, um, when he talks about a storm coming upon people's house and, uh, and whether or not that house survives the storm. Sometimes in life we, we talk about storms, and even Scripture talks about storms as being events that happen in your life that whip you up and kind of tear you down, right? 
we say, oh, he, they're going through a real storm. But in, this, in the context of Jesus talking about a storm, he's talking about standing before God, who knows everything, and looking into God's eyes and him knowing you and you knowing him. And are, are, you, are you standing when you, when you stand in his presence? Or does, is your house a house of cards that falls down? Um, so in this passage, it's not talking about uh, some, some event, but it's talking about, you know, when, when everything is made known about our life, what's really the content of our life? So as we uh, conclude our time together today, let's read Jesus' words, Matthew seven twenty four. And this is in, in conclusion of all he's taught before this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So when this, when this passage is taught in Sunday school, you know, they sing a song about wise and foolish people building houses on sand or rock, and you think to yourself, as a kid, maybe as an adult, this is talking about Christians and non-Christians, people that believe and people that don't. But actually, it seems to be talking about just believers, people that claim to be followers of Christ, and different, two different types of followers of Jesus. And it appears in this passage that the two houses look identical until the rain reveals what's actually the substance of those houses. So Jesus is talking about believers who, who are true, and believers who are not so true. And it's meant, to, it's meant to unsettle us, much like last week's sermon. He's continuing to say, you know, examine yourself. Be unsettled by this idea that um, the thing that really supports the building is unseen to people around you. You might just look like, like another house uh, to people around you, but what's unseen, the foundation, is, is, uh, is largely in secret. So a lot of, a lot of um, who you are is just hidden from everybody your whole life. And um, the only person that really knows that person is you and God at the end of the day. But by all appearances, both are houses. And when the rain comes, we see what the houses are made of. An author I like, who, who's uh, an older author, he's passed away now, John Stott, he said of these two houses, you know, the wise and the foolish builder, both of these people read the Bible. Go to church, listen to sermons, and buy Christian literature. The reason you often cannot tell the difference between them is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from view. So Jesus is saying, you know, make sure that you're built on solid rock and not on sand. When, when Jesus' original hearers heard him say this, it says they were amazed at his teaching, astonished because he concluded his sermon as one who had authority. In other words, you know, Jesus, on his own word, as God in the flesh, said, I say to you, don't, don't go with what you've heard from someone else. Don't go with um, how this text has been read differently in years past. What I'm saying is the, is the true teaching. And that is why, when we submit to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we are not simply trading one way of life or one way of ethics for another one. 
It's not a law thing, but we are, we are not trading Moses' teaching for Jesus' teaching, but we're actually responding to the living Christ who currently reigns at God's right hand and saying, I want to be aligned with you and obey what you expect us to do. It's a relational thing, not just a list of rules. If you do these things, if you obey the teachings of Christ, you know, and especially in, these, in, these, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, these, these areas of great focus where he gives really um, unparalleled teaching to anywhere else in his speaking career, you know, when you obey his teaching, you, you relationally become connected to him. It says that you're, you, in, in doing that, you love him. That's what Jesus says in John 14, 15. If you love me, then you will obey my commandments. And you receive love from him as well. You, you, your relationship is built uh, by submitting to Jesus' teaching. And we are, we are responding to the living Christ. So obeying Jesus leads relationally to deeper relationship and love of Jesus. And it's clear to me that Jesus' original hearers understood that he meant this, all of his teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 literally. He didn't mean them figuratively. He didn't, mean, he didn't think that they were um, unattainable or unrealistic. Uh, but they, they believed that we really need to decide what we think about Jesus. Is he a crazy person? Or is he God in the flesh giving us the definitive answers? So Jesus' warning is that if you reject his teaching as being unattainable, if you say it's, it's not practical for real life, it's too radical for a normal person, that was Jesus. Does he really expect us to put those things into practice? I mean, come on. Um, the house looks pretty good. It looks like the other houses in the neighborhood. We're good. Um, no, Jesus says it's not. It's not abstract. It's not something that is to be looked at and then not obeyed. Everyone who says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the person that builds their house on the rock. And people that hear Jesus' words and say, I really like this ethical teaching. I can get behind this. I want people to think of me as being this kind of person, but you don't actually do it. You're on, you're on sand. And so many people love Jesus, Jesus' teachings in the, in the world and in the church, and they just think it sounds so good, but then they walk away and don't obey what he says. That's the problem. You, you can't love Jesus. You know, the, the great command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love God unless you obey his commandments. That's how, that's one of the ways we show God's love. So even if your house looks similar to the other houses and everything looks fine, the foundation, the part that's unseen where your heart resides and where your obedience resides is what's really important. Jesus is not, you know, a, f- a foolish person who is unacquainted with our modern times and gave us unrealistic things to do, especially in the, given the modern day. You know, Jesus has taken into account the way the world is and the way the church is. He's familiar with all of our weaknesses, it says in the Word, and all of our struggles, and he still calls us to obey his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And so doing, to yield our lives to Jesus. So Jesus is saying in this passage, in, in, this, in the context of the judgment of the storm, you will be judged in the end according to Jesus on whether you hear his words and do them or whether you let your ears enjoy his words but do not do them like many people do. So doing what Jesus says or not doing it is what makes the difference. I read something that really made me think recently in regard to Jesus' sermon. The author said, what if Jesus was serious? Did he actually intend for us to do what he taught in his sermon? Are we really to love our enemies, to not worry, to live without judgment? 
And then I'd add to that, are we to pray, fast, and give in secret? To humble ourselves and forgive those who wrong us and refuse to become angry and bitter? Or to think of others as fools? Are we to focus on storing treasure in heaven, giving to the needy, turning the other cheek when wrong, going the extra mile, praying God's blessings on those who are oppressing us, even hurting us, and the people that we would call our enemies? Are we willing to resolve relational problems quickly and with full humility, like Jesus calls us to? And what if Jesus was serious? The author went on to say, so many Christians today celebrate Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then dismiss what he taught as impractical, even impossible. Our problem is that pop Christianity has emphasized Jesus' love but ignored his intelligence. We treat him like a benevolent old uncle who gives us advice because he truly cares for us, but deep down we suspect he doesn't understand how the modern world really works. So we dismiss his well-meaning input. Our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that Jesus knows he's not, he understands the world and he still calls us to this stuff. And there's no way that we can move forward until we believe that, Je- that God knows best and that Jesus' word to us in the Sermon on the Mount in particular in regard to this sermon series is his literal will for us to do every day. In the end, Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, right now ruling and reigning, interceding for us as the great high priest. And he's, his word is still calling us to all of the things that he called his original hearers to in Matthew 5 to 7. And my belief is that this section of scripture, these three, ch- three chapters, are a, a healing balm for the world that we live in. You know, this is where Christians can really shine and bring light where there is darkness in this world. There are not many people that would hear the Beatitudes, for instance. I mean, listen to this. Imagine this power in the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are humble. Blessed are those who are mourning. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who are before you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are the things Jesus said about us. This, this teaching of Jesus, if we were to obey it and put it into practice, would transform conversations, would transform the dialogue that happens and, um, and bring the living Christ, who we are obeying and loving through following his word, into the places where he is not currently in this world. So I, I think this is something to take seriously. The teachings of Jesus are not unattainable. They are not abstract. They are not hard to apply to our lives. I've been, I've been just amazed at just how, how simple it really is when you read this stuff. It, it, makes, it makes sense, but it's hard to do. And many people choose not to actually do what he says. Many people on the broad road that leads to destruction are people that say, I, I like the sound of Jesus' teachings. I can get behind that, but they don't obey him. 
our call is through the narrow road with the small gate, following, looking straight ahead of us at Jesus, the author and, and perfecter of our faith, not looking to the side and comparing ourselves to others. Because in the end of the day, all the houses kind of look the same, and it's the foundation that matters. And that part, no one knows except for you and God. No one. I want you all to have a good foundation. I want to have a good foundation. I don't want us to just appear to be something. I want us to be something. You know, all of us together. So as we, as we move, move forward as a church, as we consider our place in the body of Christ, as we look at our lives and ask ourselves, am I a true disciple of Jesus? Am I, is my foundation strong? Do I have a life cultivated by the disciplines Jesus shared in his sermon of, of fasting and prayer and giving in secret? No one even knows about it, but you, you do it. You connect to him. You love him. And, you, and your foundation is on the rock. You know, these are the things we need to look at in these days. Because um, ultimately, this is about our relationship with the one who said all of these words. And, uh, and when we obey him, we, we love him. And we find a home in his presence, in his grace. So as, uh, as Lynn and I close, we're going we're to close with the song we started with today. Um, but the goodness of God, you know, it's good. The law of God is good. Jesus' words here to us in the sermon are good. There's no question about that. But will we, will we put them into practice? Will we join with God in, the, in those people that have come before us in obeying and following Jesus' word, even if it means difficulty? Join me in prayer. Father God, we, we, um, we stand in front of your word humbled and recognizing your call to us help us to um, help us to learn how to follow you in obedience and to do these things god they're difficult to love our enemies to pray for those who persecute us to forgive to go the extra mile to keep our word to be people that are salt and light people who are gracious people who are humble people who acknowledge our wrongs and, and, and work our best to be a peacemaker in every situation. That we might be the essence of Christ in this world for each other and for everyone who needs to come to know you.